show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined by my drinking buddy Aniri. What are we serving today? I'm drinking an elephant gin. Ooh, nice. Mm. Any reason? Um, because whilst I drink this gin, I can feel good about myself because profits are donated to elephant charities. Mm? Ah, nice. Um, drinking and doing good I don't really need an excuse to feel good while I'm having a beverage but in the spirit of boozing for good I am currently having a wheat ale which is a collaboration between Garden Brewery and Tanker Brewery and it has lovely pictures can you see that of um, barn swallows on the front which are the national bird of Estonia they are um, omens of good fortune and heralds of spring because Tanker Brewery is an Estonian brewery. Um, but I'm going to tell you first of all about Garden Brewery, I think, to kick off why this is a, a good thing, why this is a brewing for good. Okay. Uh, I'll talk about me elephants later. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it as the elephant in the room. Oh, I see we did that. Thank you, thank you, and good night. And so our glasses have run dry. Um, <laughs> that's Pete joke. Okay, Garden Brewery. So they are this fabulous microbrewery based in Zagreb in Croatia. They were founded in 2016. And this year they asked 16 of their favourite global breweries to work with them on a collaboration called Restore Our Earth. And it's a charity project that they uh, started with Beer 52 as well, the um, the beer club that you get through the post. And they've distributed one and a half million cans through this little venture. Um, so they've committed to donating lots of money, 30,000 euros to charities. And they've chosen things like marine conservation, forest conservation, reimagining carbon, education and behaviour, food and agriculture, and building climate-resistant communities. So all things that are very relevant. Um, and so this is one of the beers that has come out of that Restore Our Earth collab fest. So I'm donating to at least one of those things. Given the birds on the can, I'm going to say it's probably something to do with forest conservation or animals, I don't know. Um, but Garden Brewery, I want you to put it on our spreadsheet because the tap room is beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to go and have a drink there in Zagreb, it looks amazing. Not only you know do they have great beers and all these DJs come in and it's in beautiful Croatia, um, but they've really focused on sustainability in the construction of their tap room. So they got rid of all the concrete areas that were around it and turned it into a great big outdoor garden. They've got over 40 mature trees and a big lawn. So they've really kind of gone in for their name of the Garden Brewery. Um, (laughs) They've got this big glass atrium for their tap room that has indoor trees in it as well. It's all irrigated using the brewery wastewater. Um, It creates its own microclimate and natural shade. And they also use uh, fungi instead of chemical fertilizers. 
uh, to keep all the plants healthy. So they've made sure it's got that kind of healthy micro, I'll say microbiome, but that's a bit human, isn't it? I don't know what they call it. Um, they've also got water permeable building surface materials as well, rather than all the concrete, e all eco-friendly materials and native plants as well. So it is like having a beverage in a nice, great big eco garden center with, with DJs and tasty <laughs> beers. I heartily approve of it. It looks fabulous. Straight on the spreadsheet. Yes, please. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear, but as you've been talking about this garden brewery, a massive bee has come in through the window. <laughs> oh, hey bee. <laughs> and every now and then he just goes past my uh, microphone. So if I you hope can hear so. him. I would appreciate that. It's not been added on for extra effect. I hope we get to hear it. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention a couple that we have spoken about before, only because I think I've been drinking them through another podcast episode. Uh, Brewgooder, they launched mm -hmm. on World Water Day back in 2016. Um, it seems like that's sort of the mid 2010s seem to be where a lot of these efforts started kicking off. Actually, it's really interesting. Uh, so World Water Day is a UN day to raise awareness of the 771 million people across the world who are living without clean and safe water. It's such an enormous number. Um, one of the projects that they worked on in the past year was installing a rehab well in Mali in Western Africa. Uh, it's something like only 30% of their rural inhabitants have access to clean water. So that well alone has provided nearly 15 million litres of clean water for a community of 400 people. Um, and they also founded a collective called Work in Progress, which is about trying to create more diverse and inclusive beer industry. Uh, Brewgood are also one of the highest rated B Corps when you look up all that accreditation as well. So they are doing incredible things. Uh, Toast, mm -hmm. oh, Brewgood are, I don't know if I mentioned, they're based in Glasgow. One that's based in London is Toast. Uh, they use surplus bread to replace barley. So they're using less land, water and energy, and they avoid carbon emissions. They give all their profits to charity, not any shareholders. Um, and it's all all the um, profits go towards fixing change in the food system as well. They also have lots of homebrew recipes on their site as well. If you want to do your own, you can go and buy <laughs> uh, beer brew, uh, bread brew kits. So you essentially get like a bag of breadcrumbs and flour and stuff or something. And you can make your own at home. Um, I've actually done that before. I had it for Christmas many years ago. Oh. And unlike my other homemade things that I've drunk on this podcast, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you can't get a better endorsement than that. <laughs> you managed it. <laughs> uh, recently, they did a collab with Rebel Kitchen, um, who are a plant-based company. They have something called... Well, it's pronounced milk, I guess, but it's M-Y-L-K. And they use that to make their oat pale ale. Um, they donate 1% of their revenue to regenerative agricultural projects as well. One of their others that I had not too long ago, and is really good, is their mango IPA that they launched for Earth Day. And I love a mango IPA. Love a mango IPA. Mm. You can rarely go wrong with a mango IPA. Um, so they partnered with Flawsome and Oddbox, um, which are anti-food waste brands. I get Oddbox myself, actually, uh, comically shaped fruit and veg, which I love. <laughs> and uh, so they, they launched this limited edition beer with surplus bread, surplus wonky mangoes, and also wheat and molten oats. And that was really great. Um, <laughs> continuing the water concerned, 
you might, if you are on the other side of the great big expanse of water known as the Atlantic, be in Canada and be looking in Calgary at Village Brewery. And they did a, a version of their flagship Village Blonde Natural Golden Ale using treated wastewater uh, to help bring attention to the worldwide issue of water scarcity. So actually taking, you know, water which even like in this country we don't even put down our toilet <laughs> but it's been fully treated it is safe obviously there's a stigma around wanting to drink treated wastewater because people can't get out of their minds what was in it previously but um they said the taste was exactly the same it sold very well and they really did it as a point to say you know there's all this water that we could be using if we ended the stigma of, of what we do with it um, obviously there is an energy cost to treating wastewater and using it in that way so if you've got a fresh supply of water <laughs> anyway then it doesn't make sense to be using wastewater because you're actually going to spend more energy but for places that are suffering severe droughts and let's face it that's about half the world right now um, it is actually a much more viable option so it's an interesting experiment they, they tried over there um, Tanker Brewery which is the other half of the collab that I'm drinking, this this wee tale. So as I said, they're Estonian. They really helped kickstart the craft revolution in 2014 in Estonia. And their best-selling beer is the Sauna Session. Uh, <laughs> it isn't like a sauna session. And the, the main ingredient of it is birch whisks that are collected from the Estonian forests. So this is just stuff that's fallen. They don't they don't cut it off. They just go and gather it, um, and infuse it into the beer to have this real kind of birch sap. Throwback to our sap episode, uh, birch sap mm. flavour. And they say it's like a sauna experience directly from a beer can, um, and that it was created through just experiment and coincidence. But they say it's ideal beer for drinking in the sauna, which knowing Estonians is absolutely what they would do. <laughs> yeah. I've been drunk in the sauna before. It's very good. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> there's. I've got a long list for my um, the last brewery I'm going to talk about at the moment of good things that this one has done. And you'll be pleased to hear that I've gone all the way to Wales for this one. Yay. Yay. This is Bluestone Brewing in Pembrokeshire. Have you heard of them? Have you had yeah. one of those? I have, actually. Um we haven't my company hasn't collaborated with them directly but we have kind of worked together on campaigns during recycling week and world water day etc etc so mm -hmm. they are i know that they're big on the sustainability they are indeed in, in 2018 they were the first brewer in the world to be given the green key accreditation um, that recognizes environmental sustainable businesses um the name as well it it comes from the well the stone the famous blue stone from the area that was transported over 250 miles to become stonehenge the english went and stole it from you um i mean it probably wasn't quite like that over 5000 years ago but you know uh, <laughs> so they've done a lot of really impressive things i'm just going to read through some of them uh they've got solar panels on the roof of the brewery they have zero waste brewing process so the spent malt and yeast goes to the farm, hops goes to the local gardening club, and water is sent to the reed bed filtration system. Um, the beer is sent out in compostable cardboard moulds, so there's no dividers or extra packaging. 
Um, all of the electric is green renewable energy. They make their own compost toilets with recycled beer barrel un uh, with recycled beer barrel urinals. <laughs> like that's an extra mile. <laughs> um, excess cardboard is given to the gardening club. You can purchase a tree through that online shop, um, and Good Nature Party will plant a tree on the brewery land. They've got wildflower roofs covering uh, both their their stage and their toilets. Their shop. This one's for you. Their shop is a crisp packet recycling point. You can okay. drop off your Not empty it. packets uh, to be recycled. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to single-handedly become the biggest uh, provider of crisp packet recycling in South Wales. Yeah, I hope they do it in exchange for like some beer credit or something, because that will sort you out. <laughs> um, they use 100% recycled paper in the office. There are refugee aid collection points and gardening club meeting point. They hold local community events. Um, they mix wood chip from the local tree surgeon with spent hops and malt to create their own compost. And they recently raised £10,000 for charities like the Welsh Air Ambulance and Watershed Foundation. So um, I just wanted to reel off how kind of impressive a list that was. And also, mm. you know, just to say that there's uh, there's so much people can do. <laughs> and it all sounds like quite exciting, like a nice thing to do. I mean, who doesn't want wildflowers on their roofs and to um go to the toilet in something compostable <laughs> <laughs> anyway that'll do for now i'm gonna dig into one of the delicious beers instead of talking about it enjoy it um i've got a nice story actually mm-hmm. it's only a short one but it's very wholesome uh the hive of the ozarks i would like to talk to you about mm. Uh, instantly jumped at me because I've just finished watching Ozark. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, but the Hive of the Ozarks is a cafe in Missouri. Uh, their slogan is Different Abilities, Same Opportunities. Um, so it's a non profit cafe founded by a former teacher. And the cafe itself is staffed by students with different abilities who work alongside students without any disabilities. Um, and the aim is to just help them build functional life and job skills to help them then move on in the community, get jobs, etc, etc. Um, so the lady who founded it, she worked in education for 30 years and she noticed that there was a massive gap there for her students who had different abilities. Um, she just realised that they needed somewhere to hone skills, build confidence, learn life skills, learn skills they could use in jobs. Um, skills that they wouldn't really have the opportunity to better because she noticed students who didn't have any disabilities would usually have after school jobs or internships and groups and this that and the other whereas these students weren't given that opportunity in the village she was from um so she created hive of the ozarks a cafe you guys good projects yeah absolutely mm. very good do you want to hear about some more collectives some more social social good collectives is it more beer it is actually. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So on. in 2019, Wild Beer Company, um, who are based in Southwest England, I'm a massive fan of, um, they created the Social Brew Collective, which is a project to support and raise awareness of some of the UK's social enterprise breweries. Um, they are breweries that employ staff who might not otherwise um, find getting a who might find getting a job difficult. Um, so they're trying to change those lives, uh, similarly to what you just said, really, um, about the Ozarks. Uh, so one example is Wild Beer worked with Tap Social 
Tap Social was founded in 2016, again, magic year, who I think actually, if I remember rightly, 2016 seemed like a really horrible year. And I think a lot of people felt like they wanted to put some good back into the world. Do you remember? Was that like recession time? I feel like that was around recession time. It was Brexit. It was, I think David Bowie died. It was that year. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, yeah, actually. <laughs> so a lot of social good happened around that time because people were like, I think we're going to have to take this into our own hands. Um, so Tap Social, they, they offer training courses in brewing and business startup to people serving prison sentences. Uh, and they offer support for employment for rehabilitation upon release as well. Um, so that was a really interesting project. And then also through the Social Brew Collective, Gypsy Hill, who are not too far from me, worked with Ignition, who train and employ people with learning disabilities. Um, they are also, Ignition is also a not-for-profit organisation. They pay the London living wage. Um, and similarly, Wildcard Brewery, who are also quite local, um, worked with Spotlight. And Spotlight also supports people who have learning disabilities. Uh, into employment as well so lots of opportunities I found particularly for people with um, learning disabilities or who otherwise struggle to get employment in these smaller breweries so go check out the social brew collective if that's one of you um international women's collaboration brew day snappily titled uh, but let me tell you about it so the idea for IWCBD as it's otherwise known uh, came from Sophie Durand, who was the head brewer at Burnt Mill. And it was to start a unified brew day, uh, really to encourage women to brew together. So they all have the same recipe, but they brew it, you know, in different, different breweries in different countries. And it coincides with International Women's Day on the 8th of March. And it's to raise awareness of women in the brewing industry, really, and I suppose give them a platform to have conversations because still going on in the past few years some really like horrible stories coming out about their experiences in the brewing industry i'm seeing all over social media and it's not cool and still very much needed as an organization uh, so the first year that they did it in 2014 over 60 women in five countries brewed a pale ale called unite and then just four years later 2018 the number of participating breweries was up to 126 uh, and it also raises money for local charities and the Pink Boots Society. So the Pink Boots Society is a non-profit org with international membership that supports women working in the brewing profession, especially in craft beer. Uh, it helps them to meet mentors, have the opportunity to network with other women and raise awareness of women in brewing. And also kind of helps them further their education. So it gives them the skills they need to become beer judges or, you know, to, to start their own brews. And it raises money for scholarships to help them do that as well. So the Pink Boots Society uh, came about in 2007. It was inspired by a cross-country trip taken by Terry Farendorf, um, which she had a blog called The Road Brewer, she documented. She'd left her position as head brewer um, at a place in Oregon, uh, Steelhead Brewery and wanted to connect with new people and learn about different brewing techniques regionally. So she put on a pair of pink rubber boots and set off for California uh, in the summer of 2007. So by the time she'd finished, she'd got the contact information for nearly 60 women who wanted to create and participate in this uh, professional community. And they named it uh, in honour of the boots she was wearing, the Pink Boots Society. But I like that that came out of a road trip where she met 
people face to face. Like she networked slowly and and deeply as opposed to trying to launch something all in one big go on a on a media platform, you know? I sort of like that story that came about. Uh, another quick example for, for a women's group is GLOW. Does not stand for Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling in this case. It's the Global <laughs> Ladies of Wirt, <laughs> which is oh. not sound as glamorous, but I suppose for them it is. Um, they're a mostly Northern European uh, organization, but they have a presence as well. Um, another brewing collective I want to tell you about, last one actually, I think, uh, the Queer Brewing Project. This was founded in 2019, and this was, as you might guess, set up to provide visibility for LGBTQ plus people in and around beer, and to build a community and advocate for queer rights and raise money for charities. So it's led by beer writer, photographer, and ceramicist, Lily Waite, um, and they've brewed over 30 beers in five different countries, and they have raised a lot of money for important charities as well. Um, there's they actually very recently got some of their beer into Tesco, so into 400 oh. from April uh, this year I think it was 470 branches of Tesco, and what I like is rather than just kind of talk about how great the beer is first of all, and actually I've had I've had some of their beer and I have enjoyed all of them that they're really good. Um, they said this is the first time that you're you'll find the word queer gracing the shelves of a major supermarket <laughs> i racked my brain <laughs> to try and think if i could think of any other example i'm like no you're probably right i can't think of any other context in which i would see queer in tesco's um so that's quite cool so they said that they're proud to be part of um uh this big ideas collaboration pack it is uh, it's led by cloudwater brew co because uh, queer brewing company does collaborations uh, with people mostly uh, so Cloudwater help with the um, the brewing and the canning you know in terms of the facilities they also work with Echo Brewery Good Karma Beer and Rock Leopard Brewing Company so Echo and Rock Leopard are the UK's only two black owned and operated breweries and Good Karma is an alcohol free beer brand with Indian roots uh, so they manage to get, they always look for more diversity than it just being a gay thing as it were in queer brewing they kind of try to represent the whole the whole narrative of being non-traditional um cloudwater as well as providing their facilities and everything they waived any profits from that so that those smaller breweries could reinvest which i think is very cool of cloudwater um couple of their <laughs> their brews that you might want to look out for one is a West Coast IPA called Glitter Vale. And the other is a pale ale called Something to Put in You. I'm going to go to Tesco this weekend and look. Yeah. Excuse, excuse me, miss. Have you got something to put in me? That's what you need to ask when you go to Tesco. Um, kombucha I'd like to talk about, please. Oh, okay. I know you're a fan. I am um, a fan. I've, I've, I've even, heads up, penciled it in for our first non-alcoholic podcast of the new year when we get there. Ooh. Okay. Well, maybe I shouldn't do this section. <laughs> what, it depends. I mean, are you going to tell us about the origins of kombucha or are you just going to tell us about a social good thing? No. I'm going to talk to you about some social good. Okay. Uh, it's a company called Holos Kombucha. Uh -huh. Have you ever tried? I don't think so. It doesn't ring a bell. 
Um, so they've got four different flavours, a classic one, basil and mint, ginger and hibiscus and citra hops, which is like a tropical one. Uh, they're based in London, but they have a very, very big social good side of the business. Um, so 25% of the original founder shares were set aside to create what they've called the Holos Foundation. Uh, and so essentially, um, this company, they employ survivors of slavery um, in a safe, supportive and sensitive way. Uh, they work with several charity partners who provide accommodation, counselling, casework support uh, of every, anyone who's surviving slavery, trauma and human trafficking. Uh, so it all started when two of the team met. So obviously the names have been changed here, uh, but two of the team met a girl called Maya in Cambodia. Um, she was trapped on the streets trying to support five children um, and they got to know her, learned of her passion for nail art and so they were trying to find ways to help this girl and they spoke to their hotel and explained that this girl is very good at nail art and she's very good at manicures and that they'd like to try and help her and um, so they bought her a kind of starting kit for doing her nail art spoke to the hotel manager and they agreed to let this girl to do um, manicures in the lobby for the hotel guests uh, and after a few weeks they went back and checked and she'd absolutely flourished, she was still doing that, she had like a proper list of clients, um, she was off the streets, her children were in school, she was doing really well and they were just like, God, this is amazing. Um, imagine we could like build a business that essentially does this on the side or this is part of the business. Um, so they wanted to do that but obviously the girls were from the UK and then they started looking into slavery and then they realised that there are actually tens of thousands of mayors in the UK. Um, we're just, we're so blind to it, we don't realise. Mm. Um, some of them work in the sex trade, others are forced into domestic servitude, manual labour, criminal activity. It's um, rife. And there was a really horrible statistic as well on their website. Um, if everyone that was trapped in um, human trafficking or slavery or in any form of that that I've just mentioned, if all of them in the UK were free tomorrow, the statistic is that at least 40% of them would be re-trafficked anyway. Mm. Um, so they have built um, Holos Kombucha around trying to put as much as they can profit-wise into the Holos Foundation and essentially break that cycle. Um, and yeah, that's what they do. So they, they sell it online. Um, you can buy bundles of it online or they are available in a, a small selection of health shops, but the one that kind of jumped out to me was Planet Organic, because that's one of your faves. I, I was literally there about um, an hour and a half ago, <laughs> e eating a croissant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, next time you're there, look out for it, Holos Kombucha. Um, oh, wow. It was quite interesting. So they, obviously, as well as helping to employ survivors of slavery, they use all of their social media channels to do as much as they can to raise awareness of how big an issue it is in the UK and how we don't realise it. Um, mm. so yeah, they're doing very good things. Excellent. Um, mm. It can be, uh, I think, depending on your your disposition and, and kind of like your current mood and stuff, it can be sometimes a bit disheartening looking to social good stuff because you also have to understand what the problems are. That, that people are yeah. trying to solve but I think the satisfaction of knowing you're doing something to solve those problems 
far outweighs kind of how bad she could feel about the current state of affairs anyway so i always find looking into these things more uplifting than i do depressing but i think it can also <laughs> be dependent on what's going on in your world at the time as well yeah <laughs> just as I a mean, reflection I'm, it was just sobering it was quite a shock to read some of the stuff on their social media about how rife it is mm. in the uk it is and yeah it's, there's not enough awareness um, I want to tell you, give you some tips about selling alcohol at charity events, just in case you're interested. I've actually kind of done that before, I think. Legally, or? Um, <laughs> Should we find out? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so you can sell alcohol as refreshments at an event that is directly related to your charity's aims, as they appear in your governing documents. Uh there are a few things around that. So the bar is only open because the charity activity is happening and only guests or participants or spectators at the event are using the bar. So that's the condition on, am I allowed to sell alcohol only for the time of the event? And the event has to be specifically related to what you do as a, as a charity or as a social good cause. Um, you might need to pay tax on the profits from trading if the event is not directly related to your charity's aims, but you won't have to pay tax on profits you make um, during the charitable, charitable events. Then that's because you can sell alcohol to raise funds at events, at other events that aren't yours, or in other ways that aren't directly connected to your charity's aims. So you can still do it, but you have to pay tax on it. Whereas if you're doing it at your own event, and it's proven that it's about the charity, then you don't have to pay the tax. So that's the difference. Um, okay. So it's it's all in the marketing. It's all in the marketing. For once, I'm trying to suggest it could be a force for good if you do it well. Um, <laughs> you will need to get a temporary events license, though, uh, permit. And you can get five temporary events licenses a year if you don't have a personal license. So you don't need to be like licensed or qualified to serve alcohol if you only do it five times a year. If you do it more than that, you have to have a personal license and then you can do it 50 times a year instead. Um, that's for events. Obviously, you can also have one that's just like tied to a specific place as in you're an innkeeper. Um, and then that's that's a different matter. I, I say innkeeper instead of like pub just because that's what the, the accreditation is called, the <laughs> British Innkeepers Association. So you can get your personal license from them. You can do an online course, level two online course for £125 and then get your license which never expires by the way you never have to renew it once you've done it that's it so um I, I had a little look and um it just said oh yeah we send you a video we send you a mock exam and then you just do a 45 minute kind of live exam and I thought that doesn't sound that hard I'm kind of tempted to do it just for um shits and giggles so do you think we should put it on the spreadsheet <laughs> yeah we might as well but on the condition that we're drunk when we do it. That sounds like a really good story. We can try and get <laughs> our British Innkeepers Association level two qualifications whilst having had a bev. Or do you reckon they'll yeah. let us record it live on Zoom so that we can put it out as a podcast episode? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll give it a go anyway. Um, I'm going to open a beer because I'm going to the pub for my next section. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to talk about possibly the favourite pub I've ever been to ever, ever. Oh, okay. It was so good. Hyped. The Green Vic. 
Oh, the Green Vic. We went to the Green Vic many a year ago. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there in absolute awe because I've just never seen anything like it. They had literally thought of everything. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a business that just seems like they've built it from the ground up based on just social good and giving back and having absolutely nothing but good impact on the world. It was crazy. Um, but unfortunately, it's gone now. I remember we um, we went there and fell in love with the place and vowed to go there all the time. And then not long after that, it went. Um, and they were looking for kind of donations and backers to try and open in a new location. But um, sadly, we've heard nothing of them since. The website's still running. Their social media pages are still there. Let's just hope that at some point it's going to reappear because it was just such a good place. Yeah, to make it clear, the, the place that they were was only ever intended to be a short lease uh, as yeah. as an experiment. And the guy was essentially a, a consultant. He wanted to prove that any business could be this kind of eco-friendly, this mm-hmm. focused on social good and still be profitable. So it was kind of like mm-hmm. an experiment to prove it. And he did prove it because it was it was very successful. But at the end of that lease, they were like, oh, I think we might look for a permanent venue. And that was just as kind of the pandemic hit. So I think the plans to do that, to go into something as a live solution, when in fact he was already doing the consulting, probably didn't make sense. But I've absolutely got my fingers crossed that it does come back in some form. It was amazing. Do you remember when we went, they had almost like a big thick booklet on the table because mm-hmm. they had like the drinks menu and the food menu because they'd all been so, so well thought out. They had just so much information on any, everything. They had those on the table. Um, I managed to get hold of that yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. Sneaky. I've got it. <laughs> um, so what I did, I just kind of printed that out and highlighted all the things. Well, I started highlighting all the things thinking that's worth mentioning, that's mm. worth mentioning. And then I quickly realised that I'd highlighted so much stuff. <laughs> it's all worth mentioning. <laughs> it's all worth mentioning. So I think I'll just quickly go through stuff mm-hmm. that I was reading through and going, God, that's good, that's good. Um, so yeah, their aim is to be the world's most ethical pub. Um, so they want to help as many people and as many causes as possible. They want to try and have a positive social impact in everything they do. Mm-hmm. They want to help improve the planet from their normal daily routine and to support, help and improve their local community as well. Um, So they have nominated charities. They donate a portion of their profits monthly to the Hackney Food Bank because that was local to them and they had a huge impact on the community. It was a few minutes walk from the pub. Um, They also used to have a charity of the week as well. So monthly donations to the Hackney Food Bank and charity of the week would change and they'd do different fundraisers for them. Um, They're kind of just day-to-day routine of stuff that had an impact. Um, Staffing, they employed vulnerable people such as the homeless uh, through a partnership with Crisis and Change Please. Uh, they also would employ people with disabilities thanks to a partnership with Unity Kitchen. I think you men- did you mention Unity no, Kitchen? No, they're a different yeah. one, but there are, I found yeah. quite a lot of organisations that are helping people with learn disabilities, which is great. Mm. Um, so on their drinks menu, which was enormous, they managed to help over 40 different charities uh, just from the drinks menu. Um, Their food menu was completely plant-based because obviously that's better for the environment, better for your health, better for animals. 
Um, they were also zero to landfill, so everything they used was recycled, composted or turned into energy. Um, they were also carbon neutral. Um, and I quite liked their little blurb that they wrote about that because they were very transparent. They said, we are carbon neutral and we are carbon neutral by offsetting our emissions. Mm. Um, a lot of businesses do claim to be carbon neutral through offsetting. Um, but they made a point of saying, you know, yeah, we offset. It's not great. Ideally, we'd like to switch all our energy for the premises to green energy and decarbonise in that way. Um, but because they didn't own the building, that compromise was offsetting. Mm-hmm. So it's quite nice that they're making people realise that you can't just there is to a, be carbon neutral. There is a difference, <laughs> especially when you take into account, well, as we know, biodiversity, because so many of the carbon offsetting plans are not forests they're plantations and they're not great mm. <laughs> absolutely i will not go into that no sorry i, I open i won't open that kind of words <laughs> carry on <laughs> um their staff uniforms were made by hopeful traders who helped the homeless and people with mental illness create artwork for their clothing and give them a commission from the sale of every top their toilet paper at the time it was like really cool and niche but we've all heard about who gives a crap right? mm, yeah <laughs> Um, so they were using who gives a crap before it was cool. Um, <laughs> even their washroom soap, they'd thought about that. Um, the hand soap in the toilets was made by Clarity, a non-profit that predominantly employ people who are blind or have disabilities. Um, their accountants were called vegan accountants and they give money back to animal welfare charities and only work with ethical companies and vegan businesses. Their dog treats, yeah, they were dog friendly, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, their dog treats were bought from um, a company called Beautiful Jaws, not just because they were delicious, but Beautiful Jaws matched the amount of packets bought and donated them to dog rescue centres. Um, they chose to give theirs to Battersea Dogs Home. Um, straws, obviously, were not made from plastic. They were made from wheat steam, wheat stems, the natural byproduct from wheat harvesting. Which I'm a big fan of because I just don't like paper straws. Oh, I'm with you. I've I've had these a few places now. It's essentially pasta. It's like pasta tubes. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're great because they don't go soggy like the paper ones. You essentially have to have your drink in five minutes if you've got a paper one, don't you? Yeah, I hate it. It's the worst. Uh, And then just at the end of this day-to-day impressive one-pager, they've said, we want to help other businesses and people be more ethical. So pop in for a chat. That's where his consultancy yeah this comes in and i do feel like once you've read all of that and you've gone holy crap this is insane you kind of can't deny the fact that you're like yeah and everyone and anyone can do something they they can and um, i did pop in for a chat and <laughs> with him uh, he was very nice about it and um yeah and his point really was that he wanted to prove that anyone could do it because you hear so many excuses yeah. about the expense of it and it's you know and all that sort of stuff but he's like no it's just a little bit more effort I actually said to him, I was like, you know, how long did it take to study all this? And, you know, what was the process for coming up with this as a strategy? And he was like, literally just Googled it. (laughs) He was like, I had some spare time. I Googled it. He's like, it wasn't that hard. And I love that as an answer because I say that so much in my consulting. (laughs) When people are like, can you prove the value of diversity and inclusion? And I'm like, yeah. Just Google it. It's all there. <laughs> There's like thousands <laughs> of studies. You don't need me to tell you. Um, I love answering stupid questions with, have you Googled it first? Like, why are you testing me? I mean, 
he must have Googled for so long. Yeah, like, I think he was underplaying um, how, yeah. uh, how, how he went about it. But I think that the principle is all the information's there. I'm not a genius. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. they helped over 40 different charities and conservation projects through their drinks menu alone. Mm. Um, so obviously I've got those menus up as well. <laughs> um, a lot of them actually, ones you've already mentioned, Brugada, Toast, Garden, they had all of those. Um, some other ones they had that I'd not really remembered or heard of was Ignition Beer in Lewisham. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know them. Um, Ignition... Um, Ignition is Ignition the. I, I did mention them. They're the one that did a um, a collab with um, through Wild Beers um, thing with Gypsy Hill. Ah. That's that's working oh, with people with right. learning disabilities. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they've written on their menu here: mellow and satisfying porter made by a non-profit who employs and trains people with learning disabilities to brew awesome beer. Mm. Yes. Um, Big Hug Brewing also was on their list. Um, and Big Hug Brewing, they donate money and clothing to homeless charities. I'm not going to go through all the beers and ciders. Wines, obviously they were all fair trade, but some that jumped out at me. Um, there was an Argentinian Red. Um, they help improve healthcare, education and sustainability in their Argentinian farm- farming community. Uh, another Australian one that donates all their money to Cancer Research, the British Heart Foundation, the Scottish Association of Mental Health and a hospice in Edinburgh as a thank you for all the help they give to their parents in their final days. I thought that was cute. Mm-hmm. Um, spirits. Um, the elephant gin that I'm drinking right now. Well, I've opened a beer now, but the elephant gin I've sunk <laughs> is on their list. Um, generosity. Craft gin. Generosity. Um They pour their profits back into projects to help train, educate and mentor the homeless and disadvantaged young adults globally. Um, A very interesting vodka, a fair trade quinoa vodka by Fair Spirits. I've had Um, that. And, you know, famously, we are not vodka drinkers. I loved it. Mm. It tasted like Did you know about the social good side of it? It was like a sort of nutty cream. It was really good. (laughs) Did you order it out of curiosity or because you knew it was uh, social good as well? No, I um, it was I had it just like as a free sample taster at um, some booze shop <laughs> I was at. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> Actually, no, I do remember what it was. It was Vinopolis um, when it existed back in the day in Borough Market. Oh, I remember. And they always had samples of interesting stuff. And I tried their chemo vodka and I was like, that's actually really good. Well, they um, donate profits to help improve education, healthcare, and farm equipment for their farmers in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. There's also a tequila called Ua, Ua tequila. Uh, the stalks from the pinas are recycled into paper, and the spent agave is used as fertilizer. Mm. Um, obviously, they've got holos kombucha, which I've already discussed. Yes. Um, lots of different soft drinks, non-alcoholic drinks, um, snacks. They've just, it's insane the amount of stuff and thought they've put into it. I won't go through the full menu. Uh, I'll just talk about some of the events that they used to have. Um, so every Monday at the Green Vic was a Feed the Homeless evening. Um, so I'll just read what they've written because it's, <laughs> it's quite close to the bone what they've written. <laughs> 
drink, eat, and have the best time knowing that all of your profit will go towards feeding vulnerable people members sitting on a table near you. These members would have been getting their mental health counselling or a mobile phone or an email address and temporary housing support from crisis over the last few months so they are fit to go back to work. We like to show you where your money's actually going and also want to show you that not all homeless people are crackheads and junkies and that some of them are just normal people who have had some bad luck and need a second chance. So that was every Monday, 45 seats were available to go and attend the Feed the Homeless evening. Uh, every Tuesday was charity quiz night. So as I mentioned, they have a charity of the week. Um, quiz night was free. They just asked people to donate what they could to um, take part. And then every Saturday they had the Better World Brunch. So they used a really nice quote from the founder of Toast Ale, which he mentioned earlier. And it says, if you want to change the world, you have to throw a better party than those that are destroying it. <laughs> Quite right. And yeah. So that's what they aim to do with the Better World Brunch. It was £35 a ticket, £5 goes to the charity of the week. Um and you'd get two hours of a boozy brunch with vegan junk food and tunes and a charity world record attempt. <laughs> <laughs> and we've heard some doozies over these podcasts of world record attempts, so it's always worth, worth turning up for that. <laughs> so yeah, I could literally go on for a whole other podcast talking about the Green mm. Bank. I just thought it was the best place I've ever been to. If every, if every town had a Green Vic... The country would be in a much better state. It really would oh, be. God, yes. It is a wonderful, wonderful I remember idea. the guy's name now. Randy. His name was. Hi, Randy. Hi, Randy, if you're listening. Bring, bring it back. We're you. waiting. <laughs> we are bring waiting. Bring it back. Um, you've moved on to a second drink. So have I. <laughs> while you were doing oh. that. I have moved <laughs> on to this. Which is Green Sand Ridge Raspberry Ghost. Um, which I think is a great name, Raspberry Ghost. It is from Kent. Uh, it sort of markets itself as like a gin, you know, have it with tonic, drink it like a gin and tonic. But it is an eau de vie, um, which is a clear, colourless fruit brandy. Um, so it is just full on raspberry, uh, but without being sweet. It's not a liqueur. It really tastes of raspberry, but it doesn't have that sugariness you get from... Um, Synthetic flavours of syrups. They're a carbon neutral micro distillery. Uh, they're called Greentown Ridge after the hills around the Kentish Wields. Uh, that's where they source all their flavours from. So they make most of their spirits from surplus produce from local farmers or the food system. Um, and in fact, the spirits that they make are dictated by whatever is surplus or byproduct at the time. That's sort of their mission. So they specialise in fruit brandies and rums and spirits where the raw materials are, are local to them. Like these Kentish raspberries, for example, which have ended up in my glasses some soda water. Um, <laughs> their current project that they're working on is to build a wildlife cooling pond to supply all the cooling water. Um to uh, to the distillery and that's funded by the european agricultural fund for rural development uh, the number of sort of distillers and brewers that have said they've been funded by some sort of european scheme um hurts my heart <laughs> in light of what i mentioned <laughs> happened in 2016 <laughs> but i won't go down that road anyway um another another one that actually is a full gin not your elephant gin cooper king gin is from Yorkshire 
And again, they use their local ingredients. I think that's the really good thing about gin is you can just forage whatever's around and bung it in and it will come up with some form of gin. Um, so they use raw honey in their dry and herb uh, gin from their on-site beehives. And the, they have raspberry ones as well. They have a berry and basil liqueur. They use local lavender in their gin. Uh, grown on farms that are 15 miles from the distillery and they've planted their own juniper bushes as well uh, and they use Yorkshire wheat uh, for the for the spirit so again all the local stuff they also created something through an innovation grant uh, called cold distillation and in that the botanicals are crushed or cracked or chopped uh, they're macerated in the wheat spirit to coax out the flavor compounds and then a glass vacuum still is charged with the maceration and it's gently heated. And at the same time, a vacuum is drawn through the still, which reduces the atmospheric pressure. So if you remember your physics, it allows the distillation to occur at much cooler temperatures because traditionally gin distillation takes place upwards of 80 degrees C. So by having that vacuum approach, they're saving a lot of energy in the distillation, which is pretty cool. Um, the enriched alcohol vapour rises into the closed-loop condenser where it cools and condenses into the spirit full of the botanical oils and flavour. Combined with Yorkshire water, it's rested for a week uh, to allow all the compounds to integrate and harmonise. And then every bottle of dry and herb gin uh, sold, uh, sold removes a kilogram of CO2 from the atmosphere and plants one square metre of native UK woodland. You can also... Get your refills directly from the distillery. Mm. Um, so you can take your empty bottle and get it refilled there. So if I was local, I'd be doing that every other day. <laughs> 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 but there's, it's interesting how much innovation has been brought out of this desire to, you know, waste less. All the cool things they're doing with it. And ultimately, once you've done that initial big investment, it makes things faster and cheaper and all that sort of stuff. So it's great. Uh, another one I'm going to tell you about in terms of spirits is Discarded Spirits Company. don't know whether you've seen them in the world, but they are pretty cool. Um, so they have this ethos of you reusing traditionally wasted ingredients. So not just kind of foraged locally, but actually wasted. Uh, and then they can discover these new flavours and bring back to life redundant ingredients and create new techniques. So I've got three examples of things they've made it. One is discarded sweet cascara vermouth. Uh, so that is a vermouth that's infused with cascara, which is the discarded fruit of the coffee berry. So as you can imagine, billions of cascara are wasted by the coffee industry every year. They just throw away the berry. Um, so they repurpose that to create this very fruity vermouth. Uh, they've got discarded grape skin vodka. So that's a vodka made from the leftovers of winemaking. They use the stems, they use the seeds, they use the skin of the harvest, everything that's left over from the wine industry to make a vodka. And this is my favourite, uh, discarded banana peel rum. So oh, they have a fruity yes. sweet rum made by infusing Caribbean rum with banana peel, creating a rich banoffee pie character through the palate. And they say it's very nice, mixed with ginger ale or with fruity rum-based cocktails like a daiquiri or a pina colada. And I can imagine you are moments away from ordering that. 
Yep. <laughs> I thought that it's would be your bag. Of all the ones I went through, I was like, yeah, I think you want that one. But that's really cool. I love that. Because you, you can create so much stuff with leftovers and get really interesting flavors as long as you uh, throw it into some alcohol and make sure there's there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> um, one, one final quick one on spirits. Glenfiddich. Because whiskey, I think, is one of the biggest offenders, uh, as far as I can tell, in terms of waste um, and, you know, kind of what it takes to produce whiskey. Uh, so they said that it's taken them over a decade to process 100% of its waste residues on its own site, and then the first to process them into biogas fuels to power its trucks, um, and the first also to install a biogas truck fueling station. So they've made this more eco-friendly petrol. I won't say, you know, it's completely, because it is essentially, you know, it is still burning a, a, a fuel as opposed to it being renewable electric, but it is a lot better. Uh, so they're using the leftovers anyway, the solids um, from the fuel processing as fertilizer in the fields to grow barley, uh, which is their main ingredient in whiskey. So they've got these twice over leftovers to enrich the soil. Um, and those leftovers actually, as well as nourishing the soil, actually draw CO2 away from the atmosphere. So even with the massively reduced amount of CO2 that would be pumped out from burning a biogas, they are also drawing it back into the ground through their fertilizer. Um, so they reckon compared to you know the, the diesel approach or the fossil fuel alternatives, their closed loop system will cut their annual greenhouse gas emissions by 99%. Um, which is the equivalent of planting 4,000 trees every year. So it's actually mm. very good. <laughs> well done. Well done, Glenn Fiddick. If you're going to go for an ethical whiskey, that's one to check out, probably. Good work, guys. Mm. Also delicious. Um, <laughs> I know I finished my elephant gin. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. Okay, how was it? <laughs> it was very good. I've not had it for a while. Um... I discovered it a few years ago. It was in lockdown. Um, it was World Gin Day. I'd had an email from Fever Tree. Um, I think I'm one of very few people that get sucked in by email marketing. Uh, <laughs> Wonder why. But I was. It was. It was World Gin Day, and Fever Tree emailed me and asked me if I'd like to do a gin tasting session on Zoom, and I was like, "Yeah, sign me up." Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I did, and they went all out. To be fair, they sent me a really nice box with, um, I think it was five, six gins, and then different tonics to pair them with. Um, and then we were invited to a Zoom call with the founders of said gins, which was great actually. Um, and so Elephant Gin was one of them. I'd not heard of, tasted it before. Um, I fell in love with it because it was just so tasty. It was really, really fruity. Um, so they'd obviously sent us a suggested serves before the session. So we had all the garnish and stuff. Uh, and for the elephant gin, it was pretty much just serve over ice with a classic tonic and a slice of fresh apple. And it was really nice. It was really apple-y, mm. but also other fruits coming through. It was oh, delish. Um and to be fair, it wasn't until I did the research for this podcast that I realised just how much they do. I don't think they'd really sold themselves um, as much as they could have <laughs> on that Zoom call. They talked a little bit about the background of the gin and the elephants, but um, yeah, I'll get into everything that they do. Um, so Elephant Gin as a whole, they donate 15% of their profits to three different um, conservation projects for elephants. 
Um, so it's founded by two German guys who had um, done a trip of a lifetime across Kenya, Tanzania, South Africa. Um, just admiring the wildlife and enjoying many sundowner gin and tonics. And as you do when you've had a few gin and tonics, you start to think of wild ideas. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean. We... <laughs> Spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Spreadsheet. Uh, so, that, yeah, they just wanted to kind of try and do something to help animals in Africa that they'd fallen in love with. And so Elephant Gin was born. So the gin is handcrafted in Germany. They use fifth, uh, 14 botanicals and they combine rare African ingredients with fresh apples from the orchard surrounding the distillery. Um, so some of the African ingredients include African wormwood, lion's tail, bushu and devil's claw. Uh, so they give it a bit of a unique, innovative taste. Um, so that's their, their classic elephant gin. They also do an elephant strength gin. <laughs> which is a similar flavour, but it's, I think it's 57%. It's a lot stronger. Uh, they also do an elephant slow gin. Um, any leftover slow berries made in the process will be donated to local restaurants and bars as well. Uh, the labels on the elephant gin are handwritten by a calligrapher and it's a really nice touch. They carry the name of one of the elephants that their partner foundations are currently helping to protect. Oh. So you get a little elephant's name written on your gin um so far they've donated just over 1 million euros to the different um elephant charities that they help um but as well as donating profits to the conservation projects they have their own little side hustles well i say side hustles they're not hustles they're just more social good stuff that they pump money into <laughs> um charity so aka they... hustle <laughs> hustles um so they have set up an education centre in South Africa called the Wildlife Spirit. Uh, that centre is built to educate local and uh, local adults and youths about the wildlife in their area and the environment and how to protect it. And it also kind of doubles up as a tourist attraction because there are obviously elephants there and different things that they can do. So that kind of generates the money that keeps the wildlife spirit going as well as the money from the elephant gin. Things they do at the education centre, um, they produce paper out of elephant dung. Mm. <laughs> uh, they also create paper bricks out of rubbish paper that they collect from local communities. Um, they then sell the paper and paper bricks and all proceeds go back to the maintenance and improvement of local wildlife in the local area. Yeah. Uh, they also work with Kenyan Maasai beaders to decorate the bottles with glass beaded strings. Um, they just like to support as much local kind of craftsmanship as they can. So they're just constantly looking for projects in South Africa and tradesmen and craftsmen that they can help somehow. So yeah, good eggs with the elephant gin. And it was delish. It's very good. Nice. More good recommendations. Yes. I think we've probably yes, yes, yes. come to the end of like specific recommendations in terms of breweries and distillers that we didn't cover even a fraction of them. There are so many that you can go out and find. I think like if there's a takeaway, it's go and find them because everything I've mentioned that I've tried has been absolutely top notch. It's not a compromise at all to go for any of these. They're mm -hmm. so creative and so innovative because they want to find some new stuff 
Um, it's a lot better than any of the more, maybe more standard stuff that you might, that we might, I'm not going to say anything anyone specific, but you might be, ethically, they're probably not great. Also, they don't taste very good. Like, they really go hand in hand in, in my mind. <laughs> I thought I'd talk about the issue of virtue signalling, um, or maybe how to avoid it. So, first of all, virtue signalling is, I think, a very lazy term. Um I have, a, I have a couple of problems with it. One is that it can be used by people who are more liberal to sort of say to a company, you're not really doing anything, you're just saying you're doing something, um, which is fine as a criticism. But it's also used by people who are more right-leaning to say to anyone who expresses an opinion of virtue or who wants to do something social good as that's virtue signaling you're saying you're doing something virtuous so the problem with the term is it actually doesn't tell you what the intent behind the accusation is it doesn't tell you what side it's coming from so you could read that something's virtue signaling and you're like well are you saying you don't like anything that's progressive or are you saying that it's not progressive enough so it's a redundant term i think first of all so i encourage people not to use it um what it relates to as well are things like um, uh, whitewashing, greenwashing, rainbow washing, any kind of washing. Um, whitewashing has its its origins literally in the 16th century where you would put whitewash on your walls. So it would be like a cheap paint or chalk solution. It would just be to kind of cover up any muck and, and people would do that. Um, it starts to become a political term in the 19th century actually, where they're talking about making people um, uh, sort of immune to any kind of muck or slander. So it's like, oh, we need to whitewash that person so that the muck doesn't stick to them. And then through kind of like up to the 20th century, it turns into this, well, you're purposely trying to make someone look good rather than accept the criticisms that are being thrown at them in terms of whitewashing. Um, and then it goes on to kind of a cultural thing as well, where you, you turn non-white characters into white people. Um Scarlett Johansson uh, and then, <laughs> then from sort of the 1980s on is where you get the other forms of washing so green washing comes out of a lot of the environmental studies from the mid 80s um, pink washing interestingly enough um, first used in an LGBT context comes out of um, Israel so Israel did this thing in I think it's the early 2000s where in order to deflect criticism about their human rights abuses, they said, but we're nice to gay people. You know, like, we've got Tel Aviv, they've, they've got rights there, so we can't be a bad country. And so the critics called that pinkwashing, and then pinkwashing got taken off as kind of anywhere where they're trying to make themselves look good because they've slapped a pride flag on something. Um so in, interesting history of the of the washings. Some things to look out for if you legitimately are concerned that a, a company is washing in some way of any of the ones we've mentioned or anything else. <laughs> uh, first is hidden trade-off. So, for example, a claim that a product is green based on an unreasonably narrow set of attributes without attention to other environmental issues. For example, the carbon offsetting that we talked about. Um, no proof. <laughs> So a claim that can't be substantiated by any easily accessible information or third-party certification. 
vagueness, a claim that's so poorly defined or broad that its real meaning is likely to be misunderstood by the consumer. For example, all natural. <laughs> um, Worshipping false labels. So that's something that gives the impression of a third party endorsement where it actually doesn't exist. Um, irrelevance. So a claim that might be true, but actually isn't important um, or helpful at all to the thing you're looking out for. Lesser of two evils. So a claim that might be true within that product, but distracts you from a greater impact of the category as a whole. So for example, mm. you know, this thing did have a good life before we killed it. Um, yeah. Fibbing. I mean, cruelty free. Uh, that's a huge one. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Cruelty free, this for example. This product is cruelty free, but the other shit we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then just flat out lying. <laughs> Plenty of your companies do that as well. <laughs> flat out lying. So those are lots of things that you can look out for in terms of techniques. When someone makes a claim, kind of go through that checklist and think, are they doing any of those things? Um, my advice as well to any company about avoiding any accusations of virtue signaling, because I do have this conversation a lot with organizations, is to just be specific. Be specific about your gaps and your actions. So I'm not against people putting a symbol out there that says they support a cause. For example, as we're recording this, it's Pride Month. And I think it's now very trendy for people to criticise organisations for turning their logo into Pride Flag. And I get it because a lot of the time that's all you see. Um, so I think rather than sort of either come up with do it or don't do it, just be better about saying what you're not doing well enough at the moment, which I think people really respect. Um, and then what specific actions you're taking to address whatever your challenges are. And then you can avoid virtue signaling because you can just point to that. You can say, well, this is our strategy. This is what we're, we're doing at the moment. So I'm not in favor of abandoning things that get accused of virtue signaling because I think we can underestimate the impact it has on cultures where visibility is still an issue. Like in the UK, not really an issue, for example, for pride visibility. But um, in, in other kind of countries, it really can be. So I think we've got to be sensitive to different cultural needs. And also the fact that organisations are not just disembodied entities. There are real people working within them. And I know because I work with those people. And um, <laughs> they might, you know, they might be people, for example, an organisation who have just formed an employee network. Their very first kind of project together is that they wanted to do something visible like change a logo. And then all of a sudden they're inundated with criticism for not doing enough. And they're like, well, we tried something. It's a start. It's really kind of sad for them to, to see that. So anyway, that's my reflection uh, on Virtue Signaling. I described my job. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I can write one line and I'm like, greenwashing, just shout it out. <laughs> right. So like yeah. you always need to have, this is exactly what's happening in your back pocket to uh, avoid those accusations. Any closing thoughts mm -hmm. on this theme before we wrap up? Um, I am going to slowly work my way through the entire Green Vic menu that I've printed out. <laughs> I'm going to work my way through this entire podcast. I am enticed by everything <laughs> we've spoken about today. I hope that's the impression people leave with, that like, oh, this sounds quite fun and exciting and tasty and not 
man, this isn't a lot of hard work, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to refill them with something good so we can save the world. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Can always hear me singing this song Show me the way to go home